Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be asking the question, what to do when your father is a sperm donor? I thought that today's show would be particularly appropriate given that uh, we just had Father's Day. So how do you celebrate Father's Day when your father is a sperm donor? Awkward. (laughs) Today's guest, Elsa Prado, who is the author of a book called Dear Donor, Dear Donor, used uh, donated sperm to conceive her daughter 20 years ago, who has been asking lots of questions. Um, today, there are a lot of things that science can do for us, um, but that really our psychology, our mind, has to wrap itself around, which is um, a lot more difficult and complicated than the science that is able to get us to that area. Uh, and, of course, today's guest is, is an expert to tell us about the pros and cons, you know, um, Elsa. The reason why I, I thought it was really, I thought it would be really fascinating to have you on the show is because what you're talking about, what your book is about, and what you're going to talk about today is really kind of a taboo topic. In other words, um, you know, to the extent that we hear about um, sperm donation. It's it's always in a positive light, and of course, you know, I mean, one does have to say there are certainly lots of positive aspects to it. A lot of people who wouldn't be around were it not for sperm donation, and a lot of women or, or families, couples, um, who are very thrilled that, and I'm sure you're thrilled that you have your daughter, but what isn't talked about very much, uh, if at all, is the downside, the problems that um, that this kind of... Uh, conception can bring about. And I think it was very courageous of you to write the book. Thank you. I, um, I appreciate you uh, bringing me on your show. And um, I hope that um, by my writing this book, it will give uh, people the perspective of a person that is giving a testimonial of it. What do you mean? I'm referring to my own personal experience and the experience of my daughter, Mm-hmm. Um, beginning where I was inseminated back when this was just in its beginning stages, and I didn't even get anything as far as a background, no medical history, uh, nothing. And now I realize that I could have had a child with who knows what kind of a disease disorder, and I would not have had anywhere to trace it from. Hmm. Well, okay. Now, is... Um, I'm going to want you to tell your story from the beginning, um, but before before that, is what I was just saying sort of part of the reason why you wrote the book, that there really isn't anything out there that tells you about the problems? It's all, you know, just rah-rah, let's do this? Yes, um, uh, pretty much what brought me to, to even do the insemination is, is that at that time I was married and um, being a young bride, I was in my early 20s, and we found out that my ex-husband was completely sterile by birth. Hmm. And that was um, pretty much the one thing that took us into that direction, which at that point in time was not even anything that we had ever, ever thought of or fathomed or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. 
um, the uh, beginning of the whole entire process itself was the fact that my ex-husband didn't want to adopt a child. And he wanted more than anything for us to have a baby that we could call our own. So um, I wasn't exactly as willing to do it, but being a a wife and and, and thinking about, you know, what can I do for my marriage and we're having a lot of problems over this, what can I do, Um, I ended up giving into it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I had a lot of reservations. I had a lot of doubts about it. But I also was very young, naive, and there wasn't a whole lot that they gave you. As a matter of fact, when we were um, spoken to about this whole issue, it all was very, very, like you said, very taboo. Even the doctor suggested don't tell the family, don't tell anybody. Mm. You know, this is something that will be between just the two of you. You never will tell the child, and um, that's the end of it. Wow, that's interesting. Yes. So, um, now, where were you living at the time? In Chicago. Oh, where, where, okay, where you still are. And yeah. did your husband, now you keep saying ex-husband, and I know that you're divorced from this man now, but I think we should clarify for the listeners, of course, that at the time um, you were married. And how many years had you been married before you did this? About three years. And now, did your husband at the time um, know before he married you that he was um, unable to, that he was infertile? No, he had no idea. As a matter of fact, um, we uh, were trying to get pregnant, and it seemed like I was the one taking fertility, fertility treatment um, and stuff like that, and I wasn't getting pregnant. And then the doctor said, well, what about, it? What about you? Why don't we test you? What about, you know, maybe you're the problem mm-hmm. and not her? Mm-hmm. And that's where he did, like, that whole genetic uh, screening and then they uh, found out that he was a Kleinfelter syndrome. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now, this is 20 years ago, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, how, did you, uh, how did you know about um, and how did you find a doctor? Well, I guess, was it the infertility doctor who referred you to, um, to a, a clinic for sperm donation? Yes. It was actually the um, endo-infertility specialist uh-huh. that uh, was handling this, and the uh, endo-infertility um, specialist was the one that uh, started talking to us about um, artificial insemination and in vitro. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that um, basically uh, brought the whole subject about, and he was the one that suggested it given the fact that he was um, just completely against the adoption process. Uh-huh. Okay. So so did you tell anybody about it or was it just uh I mean at the time or what, did you tell your parents or anybody? No, I I I you know, I believed in the doctor. I I believed in the doctor blindly to the point where I mean everything he told me I was doing to the letter. <laughs> if he said don't tell anybody, I didn't tell anybody. Uh-huh. I wanted to and um, that in itself started to be kind of like a burden on me mm-hmm. where I felt like, wow, you know, I feel like I'm carrying on something that is just weighing on me now. Mm-hmm. And it was years that passed before I ever said anything. And um, a-, a series of things came about. Well, because... let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have, okay. we have a whole hour, so let's just do it in... So how long, so, so how, what did this doctor suggest as far as 
how, where was this um, donated sperm supposed to come from? What did he tell you as far as that? He told us that he knew of a sperm bank and that he had like a catalog. And basically it was nothing more than numbers. Like each, each donor had a number. Mm-hmm. And it was very brief. All I got was like the color of the eyes, color of the hair, and the nationality. And um, this person's like major, because I guess these were college students. Oh, uh huh. So they just gave you like, what is the student majoring in? Hmm. Okay. So what was? So how did you go? You and your husband go about picking? Um, we pretty much went by hair color and the nationality. And how? What did you look? What did you pick? So I basically my nationality is Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I looked for a Spanish uh, donor with brown hair, basically. Mm-hmm. What about a major? I mean, there must have been less of Sp- Well, I don't know how many, but there uh, amongst the uh, amongst the Spanish brown-haired men, <laughs> um, did you did you use the person's major to help you narrow it down? No, not at all. I was more concerned about trying to match uh, my donor with my husband. Yes. Because I, we, I, my, I guess my first thought was, oh, my God, you know, I pick a blonde guy and everybody's going to be wondering what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody's going to question this. <laughs> this cannot be your baby. <laughs> and your husband, I take it, is Spanish as well. Spanish. Yes. Okay. So, well, what was the major, I mean... <laughs> Of your of this donor, uh, a finance major. Oh, now, now that was smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So then, what happened? And, and then after that, um, I went in for the insemination, and it was very actually very simple to do. It was um, you go into the um, uh, pr- you know have the procedure in the office. Um, they keep you there for a couple of hours. So that it takes, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much they send you home, and then they put you on bed rest. For how long? And uh, it was more of just a couple of days, mm-hmm. it just like taking it very easy, but, like no strenuous activity, uh, nothing, no exercise, things, things like that. Mm-hmm. And. And then after that, I found out I was pregnant a few days later because I woke up in the middle of the night throwing up. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. it, it took on the second try for me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, from that very moment that I got pregnant, I started to see a reaction in my husband. Yes. And I can tell you right now, and I can... Um, tell you that from that moment on, I could already feel that it was going to mess with him. Yes, that he was going to feel emasculated and jealous and so on. Yes. From that very moment, from the moment I started vomiting and I went to the doctor and the doctor said, okay, it's positive. You guys are pregnant. You're going to have a baby. And here I was thinking, I just found the solution to my problem. Yes. But I could already see from right there that my husband was not the happy man I was expect. I was mm. expecting to be the uh, you know like the wife that was going to get the big rah rah rah. Look at you, you did a great thing. You yes. know, you're get, you're going to have the baby your husband wants, only to find out that he wasn't thrilled. Hmm. 
Now, how did he, um, he just wasn't very, I'm, I mean, did he save, he just was sort of disengaged with you, or what yes. did he? Yes, there were, I, I started feeling that uh, a detachment from him, mm-hmm. and um, he started to treat me differently. Like what? Um, I wasn't. I wasn't being treated like you know, like the loving husband. We're connected, and you know, feeling that you have with your husband. Mm-hmm. I started to feel like we were disconnecting, yeah. and he was starting to withdraw. Yes. And when I started uh, seeing the withdrawal, I started to worry a lot because I had taken psychology in school myself, <laughs> and I thought bad sign, bad sign. Uh huh. Well, um, the music is a bad sign too. It's just saying that we have to take a break. <laughs> But we will continue with this um, when we get back. Okay. Um, my guest today uh, is Elsa Prado. She is the author of Dear Donor. We're talking about uh, what to do when your father is a sperm donor, and we will follow her pregnancy in the next uh, segment. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST. 
4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about what to do when your father is a sperm donor. Uh, my guest is Elsa Prado. She is telling the story, the real story, firsthand in her book, uh, Dear Donor, and also to us on the radio. Um, she actually uh, went through this, and she's not sugarcoating it, as, as you can tell, but telling the true the true story, all the uh, all the ups and downs, and when when we just took a break, um, we were talking about how when finally you did get pregnant um, with a sperm donor's uh, sperm, um, your husband instead of being excited and happy because he had been wanting to have a child of your own, um, which is why you did it in the first place, he instead started to pull away, and uh, you were realizing this this early sign was was not a good harbinger of things to come. So take us, um, let's start back with where we left off. So um, when I started noticing his reaction um, and not being as uh, connected to me anymore, I did suggest to him that he go to counseling, and I talked to the uh, specialist about it, and I told him what was really going on, and he suggested he go to counseling, and at that point he only reacted worse. Hmm because then he felt like I was calling him crazy, he said. Uh-huh. And he took it wrong. He took it more like, oh, I'm the problem now. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that way at all. I just wanted for him to um, be able to, I guess, process everything, that he was going to be the dad to this baby, and for him to feel um, a bond, like mm-hmm. just like I was starting to feel already. as I, The moment I was... I got pregnant, I started feeling that bond to this baby that was beating inside me, and I, I figured I want him to start feeling um, that bond, too. If he gets this counseling, maybe he will. Yes. But it didn't work out that way because he refused to go to counseling. Yes. I mean, for everything, so that didn't work out. Um, after I got after I was really uh, well into my pregnancy, I had a very difficult pregnancy because I had um, gestational diabetes. Mm. And diabetes does run in my family, so it added a little bit to the pressure where I had to do a lot of bed rest and I, I had to quit work. You know, I had to take an extended leave. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, I could see that him taking care of me was not going to be fun for him. <laughs> and I had to like 
you know, get all the sisters and my mom and mm. whoever I could get to help out. And I was trying to go that route instead of bothering him so much because I just, um, I, I didn't know which way to go. Am I, I, yeah. I kept thinking, am I burdening him with too much or, you know, am I just being, you know, too much of a medical burden now for him with uh, the, a difficult, complicated pregnancy, my uh, gestational diabetes and um, the... Um, condition that they call where you have like incompetent cervix that puts uh-huh. you into that preterm labor. Yes. That um, re- really required me having bed rest to the point where as I got bigger, the doctor said, you really should have like a, a nurse come to the house and wow. kind of help your wife out just to help out with um, some of the things that need to get done. Uh-huh. And then as I was progressing in my pregnancy, I did not get any support from him. The withdrawal became worse. Um, it got to the point where now he was not even having those conversations about how was your day, those conversations that we have with our spouses just about our daily, uh, you know, living. Right. And not even interacting anymore, and I really got concerned. I almost felt like there's a wall between him, him and I now. Yes. And I could see, you know, everybody's reactions to the pregnancy and, oh, they were ha- happy for us and this mm. and that. But I didn't see any of that coming, you know, and mm-hmm. like from his direction. He wasn't expressing. Did you have a shower, a baby shower? They couldn't do one for me. I ended up in the hospital a number of times with my preterm labor. Yes. And I ended up uh, delivering prematurely. How, at, at how many weeks? I was about 36 weeks. And so about um, two weeks, you were about two weeks early? I mean, four uh, weeks mo- early? About, let's four know, weeks let's, early? About a month early? Yes, about four weeks early, yes, right. about four weeks early, about a month early. Yes. And, um, well, you know, I mean, I'm sure you were trying, did, did you go to any counseling or did you speak with the doctor um, who had gotten you into this um, about how sometimes men do react like this because it almost feels as though you've had sex with another man, like you betrayed him. I did start feeling that, that um, he felt that way. I really Mm -hmm. did because I started thinking to myself, you know, well, maybe if I were in his shoes, I would feel like, oh, look look at her, you know. She's getting bigger by the day. She's pregnant, and I couldn't do that. Yeah. I couldn't perform to get her pregnant. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, maybe he feels... Less of a man. Right. He just doesn't know how to express it. So then what happened at the delivery? So then at the delivery, the doctor was trying to get him to participate. And I kept encouraging him, and I thought, maybe this is what he needs, you know, to really be a part of the whole thing, to really feel like, you know, I'm a part of this. And the doctor did suggest to him, you know, why don't you uh, cup the cord? And why don't you really get in there and, and, you know, go put on the gown and everything? And he did, you know, the doctor did really do do a wonderful job with uh, encouraging him and getting him to do it. And he was all worried that he was going to be weak and he couldn't handle it. But Uh he really um, did get him in there, got him all dressed up and everything. Except I had a a very difficult uh, delivery where the baby was latched in my rib cage. Hmm. And then I started to get so short of breath that I couldn't breathe because her elbow was directly latched in it, right into the top of my rib cage, and I'm a very small, I'm like a size zero. I'm a very small person. 
So when I was on the delivery table, the doctor said, oh, I can feel her elbow, and, I, and they were trying to push it down. Uh-huh. So that, and I guess the baby was under stress. And at one point, I, all I remember is just blanking out. I was gone. I remember uh, the, um, that they were calling a code, and everybody mm-hmm. rushed in the room. Wow. By that time, I just was gone. I, I don't recall anything after that. Okay. After, after that... My husband did tell me, he says, you almost died. Hmm. And uh, he said to me, he says, they did tell me if, if they had to choose, who would I pick? Yes. And um, I write this in my book because it hurt me deeply. He says, I told him that I would pick you definitely. The baby could die. And he said it in those words. And it just hurt me deeply. And I thought to myself, I just would have been happy if he could have said, well, try to save both of them. But that's just me as a mother. Well, I mean, I guess there was no, I mean, you certainly wouldn't have been happier if he had said, save the baby. <laughs> Actually, I would have. I guess there you went? I would have. <laughs> you would have preferred him to say to save the baby? Yes, because I would not ever want no baby to die. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, well at least at least at that point he still wanted you, though. He told him to save you. Right. Okay, and then what happened? Um, then after that, um, I had really... Um, Nerve damage from the epidural. Uh-huh. So when I came out of my um, delivery, I was paralyzed from the left side. Hmm. And that was from the uh, epidural, they said, and I was having um, terrible spinal headaches. And um, I was having a really tough time from all the, I guess they were trying to clean it out. So I was like trying to nurse, but then they said I couldn't nurse because if I nursed, I would be giving the baby all of the medication. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was um, really hard for me to try to do that um, that switch that you got to do. You know, do the do the mom thing, but at the same time recover from this. Yes. So by the time um, we came home, and we started getting like every you know all the family gathered together and everything, um, I started seeing the responses. You know, how everybody would tell him that the baby looks like me, my family, the baby doesn't look like him, and he resented that hmm. deeply. And for me, it was really hard because it, doesn't, it wasn't bringing us closer. It's, now, it was, like, was the baby able to come home with you when you left the hospital, or did the baby have to stay there? In a, no. in... She was able to come home with me. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. As a matter of fact, she was a huge baby because I had uh, gestational diabetes so ba- so bad yes. that she was like eight and a half pounds, wow. even though she was born a month early. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, oh, yes. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Yes. So then people were telling him that he, the baby looked like you, um, and so then what happened? So then it, it started to really um, develop. Uh, we started to really, like, distance each other. From, like, now it was like he was using the words, your baby, hmm. your daughter. Hmm. Um, and I really started to know, okay, this really is affecting him psychologically. Um, I could not get him to help me at all. I, I really was trying to um, get him to help me, like, you know, bottle feed the baby, you know, let's take turns, you know, you help with the care and stuff like that. And I, I could just, he would make, like, Oh, I'm, I, I don't think I could do this. I, I don't think I can, you know, what if I hurt the baby or stuff like that. But it wasn't like he wanted to. I mean, I see so many dads just with, in my circle of friends 
I mean, they try so hard. Yeah. Even if they look awkward and if they look like, you know, almost comical about it, but they, they really try. They really make an effort, and I wasn't seeing that in him, so it was really concerning for me. So then what happened? I, so, as the baby, how old was the, was the, your baby when when you got divorced? Um, like two and a half. Oh, well, so there really wasn't much. <laughs> so when did the D word start coming into the uh, conversation? Um, I want to say like when, before the baby was even a year old. Hmm. Before the baby was a year old, yes. Our relationship as, as a husband and wife was just falling apart. Just gradually, as from the time, well, from the time you were pregnant. In other words, there was never any time when it got better. It just kept going downhill. Yes. Hmm. Well, at that, we do need to take another break. We will be joining you again. Um, hear more of the story of my guest, Elsa Prado. Her, her book is Dear Donor. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I want to get this commercial break over so we can get back to the story. So stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about what to do when your father is a sperm donor. My guest is Elsa Prado. Her book is Dear Donor. Um, This story uh, goes really downhill. (laughs) Uh, We have just just begun to go downhill. Um, uh, Elsa was talking about how after the baby was born and and, uh, her husband... um, became even more estranged and um, the D word started coming into the conversation when their daughter was one year old and um, and you said that they during the break you were telling me um, well and and you were divorced when she was two and a half yes and um, okay so why don't we I mean well tell us a little bit about that but then I want you to tell us about what happened when she was three Okay, uh, pretty much it was um, where we just got divorced and we decided that, you know, we would do like joint custody. And I asked them, I said, you know what, I said, I still want you to be her father if that's what you've always wanted to do, be a dad to her. Well, you know, I'm never going to take that away from you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I had set everything up in my divorce decree to reflect that, you know, so that he could be the father that he always wanted to be. And I really believed that that's what he wanted in his heart was to be a dad, and I was given him that opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, by being a dad to her. Mm-hmm. And um, shortly, a few months after um, we got divorced, I want to say maybe four or five months afterwards, um, he took her, like, overnight, and he wasn't supposed to. And I didn't know, but the following morning, my, da- my daughter was crying and screaming when I was giving her her bath, and she's like you know, telling me that her daddy hurt her. And I was, like, shocked. I, I, I could not believe it, what the words were coming out of her mouth. And she was pointing to her privates, and she's telling me, right here, Mommy, right here. And I immediately rushed her to the pediatrician, and the doctor said, you know, we got to, you know, call DCFS. We have to, you know, make sure that we're covering all our bases, make sure that, you know, that her hymen is intact, that there's no other, you know, type of penetration anywhere. I mean, I was just like in a horrible whirlwind of emotions. I was mm-hmm. taken into just about any possible emotion I could have felt in a matter of hours. I felt it all. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I wanted to kill him and strangle him, have him locked up in jail. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know which way to go. It was so many things going on at the same time. I had the, the pediatrician, you know, pulling me in one direction that your daughter needs this, this, and that. And then on the other side, I had the legal aspect to deal with. What was I going to do? How was this going to change things? How was this going to affect the family? It, it was so much to deal with. Yes. So um, so what did you do? So I actually um, took her to the pediatrician, took her to the doctor. The doctor found the bruising. And then from there, it was appointments with the uh, the doctor, the specialist that does the counseling for the kids, then the uh, actual doctor that does the physical exam, then the DCFS got involved, and she had to be interviewed. And she's a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. 
And that was just excruciating to put a three-year-old through all that. Then we ended up in court because I had to file a police report. They had to uh, do the uh, visitation. They had to do a psych evaluation on him. They, uh, they had to do so many different things that I just thought to myself, good Lord. And then, of course, in the back of my mind, this is where Dear Donor started. Dear Donor, do you know what your little girl is going through? Mm, oh, uh-huh. And this is where Dear Donor became the beginning of my book. Huh, only you, you wanted to tell the man? I wanted to tell him so badly. Look what this man just did to your daughter. Do you even know what your little girl is going through? Hmm. Hmm. So I had to go through the entire thing. You know, I had to uh, do and, all the appointments. And was your husband, your ex-husband put in jail? No, actually, the only reason why he did not end up in jail was the fact that my daughter was too young to testify against him. Mm-hmm. So instead, what they did is they did the supervised visitation at an agency where they could have an actual person sit with my daughter and him in a room, and I would sit behind a um, one of those windows that are mirrored. Yes, where one-way mirror, yeah. Yeah, I can see them in, in the interview room but they could not see that I was sitting there. Yes. And um, that's how uh, the visitation took place. And then, yes, and, and then you said that your daughter started rejecting any contact with him yes, during these visitations. my daughter would sit there, and he would try to uh, talk with her, and she would just, like, go to a corner, like, get away from me, leave me alone, um, like, almost like, don't even come near me. And I could see that the uh, person supervising would ask her, what's wrong? And she would reply, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to, as in, like, I don't want to be here. Leave me alone. And um, all of that was documented in the reports that I would later have to bring to court to be able to prove and and show through um, these visits and the counseling that she was receiving, plus all the things that come with this type of stuff because my daughter experienced night terrors, Mm-hmm. She started soiling her bed. Hmm. She started um, doing things like um, drawing skeletons. Hmm. Um, she started to um, sit in a corner of a room and just rock herself back and forth. Now, was this supposedly after just one incident of his abusing her, or had he been abusing her before and you hadn't known this about is the it? Part that, this is the part that we don't know because she was so young. Mm-hmm. We don't. We we don't. We believe that this incident was the part, the the incident that brought her to actually voice it and talk about it. Uh huh. And the therapist thought, well, maybe there's been like touching and stuff where he's been trying to get closer and closer. Yes. To you know bigger things. Yes. But she finally voiced it at that point. So that's the part we did not um, know for certain. But she did say things um, when the doctor used the anatomical dolls with her and things of that nature. Yes. So now after um, your daughter uh, rejected him a few times, he stopped coming to the supervised visitation. Correct. He just completely, like, totally didn't want to ha- be supervised. And he didn't want have anything to do with her life. No. And he started getting on me about, I don't want to pay child support. Huh. And this became a huge issue because... Uh, children of sperm donors are supposed to have the same rights 
that biological children are supposed mm. to have. However, there's a huge, huge um, crack in the system for children of sperm donors because, for example, he never wanted to pay his child support and he did everything in his power not to, you know, do his share. Mm-hmm. And eventually he left his job so he wouldn't have his wages garnished anymore. Hmm. And um, I talk about that area, too, because it's very, very difficult. At one point, he actually literally just decided one day, you know what, I would just rather waive parental rights. And there was not one attorney that would touch the case because they knew that they were dealing with a sperm donor situation. That would touch the case on his behalf or on, on his your behalf? behalf? On his behalf. Uh-huh. He tried for a while to just totally, completely waive his rights, and they said, absolutely not. This child has the same rights mm. of a biological child, so as long as you're working, they're going to be chasing you for child support. Uh-huh. And he refused to pay any of her medical expenses, her dental, you know, and, vision, and so, all the stuff. So tell us about, at 10 years old, I, I, I you know, um, during the break we started chatting about this. At 10 years old, he tried to pick her up in a van from summer camp. Yes. After um, not having was, um, seen her since she was about three or four. Right. He had not seen her in years and years. But he, he, how did he know where she was? It, well, that's the thing is that, that I believe that he probably found out through somebody in the family. Mm. He must have inquired mm-hmm. some, uh, through somebody in the family. And at that point in time, I wasn't having a very good relationship with my sister because she was very close friends with his sister and him. Mm. So I gathered that... He, the information was picking up, picked up by my sister. My sister gave him information, uh-huh. and that's how he found out what camp I had her at. Okay, so he came there one day with a van, and he got her to get into it, and then what happened? He, he was trying to get her into the van, but she didn't get in. Uh-huh. That was the, the, the saving grace there. Oh, Otherwise, because I by that be talking was... about my kid is gone. Because um, by that point, she was 10 years old, so she was able to... Uh... Scream and run home and everything else. Mm-hmm. So what we what I did that day that um, she came running home, uh, hysterical, mm-hmm. um, totally in tears and and just scared out of her mind. That um, he was calling to her, calling her name, and telling her, "Come here, get get in here." And mm-hmm. she said that immediately. She crossed the street and she said, "I." I she went around cars and she said the good thing was is that when he was trying to get around the corner there was another car in front of him which gave her the time that she could uh-huh. run home uh-huh wow how scary god <laughs> it just um hmm. all right well we do need to take another break when we will when we come back we will be back with my guest elsa prado she is the author of dear donor uh the story of her experiences which you know which uh tells the dark side of um being a mother, uh, a recipient of a, a sperm donor's sperm in order to um, do what she was trying to do, give her husband the baby he, he supposedly or claimed to really want to love. Not, not a way to show love. We'll be back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get back to my guest. It's Elsa Prado. She is the author of Dear Donor. And we're talking today about what to do when your father is a sperm donor. Um, I, I, I do want to tell you, make sure that I get in. I've been asking Elsa during the break about how her daughter is doing. Unfortunately, she has given um, her daughter therapy ever since the daughter was three years old, um, you know, after she was abused by, her, by Elsa's husband, um, then, by then her divorced husband, um, or ex-husband. Um, and to, to the, the, at least the positive part of the story is that her daughter, who's now 20 years old, is, a, uh, is doing well, and she's a communications major um, at a university, and I don't know. Do you do you keep her? Um, well, I guess it can't be too anonymous if you use your real name in the as the author. So I'll say her daughter goes to DePaul University and she's majoring um, in communications and she's doing very well. You know, one thing um, I, I know during the break we talked about how your daughter has had some respiratory ailments and how you tried to um, go to your the doctor who did the insemination to find out about the medical history of the sperm donor, and he said you signed a waiver and he can't tell you anything more about the person's uh, medical history, which, of course, is, was, you know, really difficult. But 
I want to make sure we have time to talk about um, how you told your daughter uh, that she was the product of your egg and a sperm donor. What, what age? At what age did you tell her this? I told her um, right when the girls were getting the talks about menstruation, uh-huh. and I had a I talk about this in my book too because I had to devise a whole different method uh, in explaining. Like when she was younger, when she started asking about the birds and the bees, I had explained that part too. So I've pretty much have tried to explain it as she's growing. It's been, you know, from the, the point where she started asking about how are babies made, I had to kind of explain to her that she was a special baby because of the way she was conceived. Mm-hmm. And then as she um, got a, older, and then I started to explain the insemination in in a different in terms that would be easy for her. But to, when to did comprehend. she know that the the man who sexually abused her wasn't her biological father? Yes, she knows. No, when? At what age? Oh, at what age? Let's see. I want to say she was about seven or eight. And how did you? How did you? Did you do that in therapy? Yes. We did uh-huh. it with the uh, with the, her psychologist and everything, so that it would be done in the right way, you know, with the yes. right words and yes. preparing her for it. Yes, that was very, very good, very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean, boy, this you know that in itself is something is is a large psychological issue for for a seven year old to swallow. But this, of course, was so much more complicated. I mean, I guess in a way. It was a relief to her to find out that the man who molested her was, I mean, he, he was not her biological father. Right. Otherwise, I believe it would have been even more devastating. Right. Because the event itself was very um, harmful to her right. emotional health, and it took years just to bring her out of that. Yes. Um so how did she react when you told her about the sperm donor? She was, I know that she looked very surprised. She wasn't really comprehending the whole thing, but I did tell her that when she got, as she would get a little older, that I would be telling her more, mm-hmm. and she seemed content with that. And now how the big question is, um, this book came out a year ago, and how... Um, and I know that your heart is in the right place as far as wanting to help women when they make these decisions. Um, how has your daughter reacted to your writing the book? At, initially, she said that um, she felt a lot of shame because in the book I would be talking about her being abused. Mm-hmm. And I told her that she should never feel shame because she never asked for this. This is not something that... Um, um, she should ever feel guilty for or responsible for because this is not something that she ever, um, you know, like asked for. Yes, it wasn't so, her fault, yes. It, it's not her fault. And I told her that. I said, this will never be your fault, and this is a person that is not right, you know. This is right. not a healthy person, so you need to see it from that perspective. Yes. But at the same time, I have noticed that just the fact that she is so against this now, her boyfriend, who's in the university with her, was recruited to be a sperm donor, and she was furious. She was livid. Huh. And she said, don't you dare. I, 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 I would, like, totally leave you if you did, because she said, what if things work out between you and I? 
and I don't want to know that you mm. have children mm. elsewhere. Uh, you know, this is going to affect me. Look at me. I'm the I'm the product of, of a sperm donor yes. thing. And based on how I have seen, because I can genuinely tell you that it caused me a void, and I know that it has caused her a void, not having a father. So, are, so you're, um, now I haven't had the opportunity, obviously, to read your book, but so you, when you talk to women, you're, you're coming out very strongly against this, I take it. It's, I'm coming out in the sense where I just say, think about it. Make sure you're making an informed choice. I'm not, I'm, I'm not disputing the fact that if you're married and you have a spouse and maybe he has a low sperm count, um, maybe you want to use insemination. You know, they can concentrate the sperm and help a couple that's having infertility problems conceive that child yes. by doing that procedure that way. You know, or maybe the wife has a little bit of endometriosis or what have you, and if they just do the insemination, it'll take better than if they just do the natural way. Okay, so which what you're it, obviously it has its its good parts, but it's also but it also will have its bad parts. I'm talking about both. I'm basically yes. speaking in both terms and saying, put really good thought to this. Don't go into it with your eyes closed. Go into this really getting um, a lot of information. Um, I'm looking at the whole psychological aspect, the impact that it has psychologically on us as mothers, and I see it firsthand on my own child, how it has affected her psychologically. we got to think about that as mothers too. Do we really want this for our children? Yes, it is a very, I mean, what you're saying, in other words, is that it's a really, it's a complex, Problem and one shouldn't just jump at this possibility before exhausting all the other possibilities. Absolutely, because uh, I mean, I guess for example, on Father's Day, um, it, that's probably the worst day of the year for your daughter. Yes, and and, and for me too, mm-hmm. because I I see my dear donor. You know, I wish I had you to share with this day with my daughter. Yes. And yeah. you can't help it, you know. It's almost part of that natural uh, need that we have as human beings. To do what? To be connected to that other person that we conceived with. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I uh, again applaud you for being brave and bringing out your story and for making sure your daughter got therapy from the time she was three years old. There are so many people who don't realize how important that is. And, of course, now you have the results, the good, pos- the positive results of that. Um, tell people where they can buy your book. Uh, you can buy my book at exlibris.com or barnesandnobles, amazon.com. Any bookstore will order it for you if they don't have it on the shelf. And um, you can also, um, you know, most of the major Borders, all all the major uh, bookstores carry it. Yes, and again, the name of the book is Dear Donor, and the name of the author and my guest is Elsa Prado. And uh, this is really, it is important. You know, you're not saying that this can't work out, that it can never work out, but you're saying that uh, you need to look behind the smiling Gerber babies (laughs) and realize, you know, that there are some deeper issues that doctors don't always tell you about or can't tell you about from the perspective that you're telling uh, would-be parents about. So thank you very much for sharing your story. And uh, 
I think I, I would recommend to all of you, um, to especially if you know couples who are thinking about this, this is an important book to read. So thank you again, Elsa Prado, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.